If you have your Bibles, open them up to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Again, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Um, for the last several months, you've been opening your Bibles to the very beginning. Now you're going to be at the very end here, okay? Um, we're going to start a new book study on 2 Thessalonians. It's a pretty short chapter in the New Testament. And uh, as we go through books of the Bible, uh, three quarters of the year, uh, we'd share that with you guys before. I do want to give a quick reminder of why we do that, kind of have that, that conviction. Um, first off, uh, when you go through books of the Bible uh, like that and verse by verse, um, it, it is a good reminder and it gets rid of the temptation. Uh, not to say that's not going to be there still, but... Um, uh, you can find great comfort in knowing that it is not like my opinion, the church's opinion, but it's God's word that is speaking. Um, and so instead of taking kind of that topic and then picking a whole bunch of verses that may fit there um, uh, and a lot of opinion in that, this focuses on God's word. Uh, and of course, there's hermeneutics involved, interpretation involved still with that, but it takes that away. Um, also, I found when going through books of the Bible, and I'd seen this uh, working in student ministry and doing that in student ministry, often people would walk away, students would walk away from the sermons and they'd be like, wow, I, I just heard from God. Like, that, that's amazing. I can't believe it's in there. But I can hear that myself when I read the Bible in that way. I'd found that when going through books of the Bible, people came to see and realize, oh, wait, this isn't Pastor Eric or my Sunday school teacher. This is God, and I can read the Bible for myself, hearing from him in this way. I don't have to do this, like, gigantic research with a seminary degree to see these passages fit into this topic. But, like, how I heard from the Lord right there, it's how I read my Bible. And so it helps people really get into the Word themselves and start reading through those books themselves. Um, and so, again, a couple of reasons why we go through uh, books of the Bible three quarters of the year. Um, and with that, uh, as a reminder, I do want to read Jeremiah 15, 16 before I read our text for the day, uh, which says, um, Your words were found, and I ate them, and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. So with that passage in mind, let us now feast on God's word. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, starting off with verse 1. I'm going to read through verse 5, and then we're going to, and then we're going to break it down. Verse 1, God's word says this. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Now, before we get into this text, 
I want to remind you, or at least first share with you, that the Apostle Paul writes this to a church, the church of Thessalonica, that is suffering. Uh, he kind of hints and says it a few times, and you're going to see it in some of the other verses and some of the weeks ahead. But they are in much affliction, as he specifically says, specifically because of persecution. So as this church is being persecuted for their faith, God, through the Apostle Paul, addresses or speaks into that suffering. He gives them hope by reminding them, as you'll see, the importance of continued faith, continued spiritual growth. And he emphasizes or highlights, as you'll see to come, the second coming of Jesus. So starting off again, those first couple verses where he introduces who's writing the letter along with Silvanus and, and Timothy, um, addressing them. And, and as he says here, in God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 2, kind of seems repetitive, but that's there for a purpose. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is very similar to how the Apostle Paul starts the rest of his letters. He mentions who he's with, Silvanus and Timothy, reminds them of who their identity is in, God the Father. He says, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, and how both God the Father and Lord Jesus gives us two words, grace and peace. He knows as he starts off this letter, as again, they are being persecuted. They are going through hard trials. They are suffering. He knows it is important for them to know who they are rooted in because of the gospel. Because they have heard that, received that, recognized that they were sinners, separated because of that sin from the holy, loving Father who created them for himself to worship him. But that sin that separates them from him and Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sin, paying the penalty that they deserve, but putting that upon himself, rising from the dead three days later, and what we celebrated last week, proving and showing his all authority and power as God to defeat sin, Satan, and death, and that they repented of their sin, had saving faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord, as it says, and Savior, and they are given now true grace and peace which they need in the midst of suffering for that gospel message paul wrote this letter right after he wrote first thessalonians because he had received a report that a situation at thessalonica had taken a surprising turn in the midst of heavy persecution this body of christ was a bit confused about the second coming of jesus and there were those within the church who were becoming apathetic and lazy. Again, going through a lot, and then those things on top of it, the Apostle Paul, through God, felt like, I need to help and I need to address some things. In fact, for one other additional background with this, you could turn to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. This is how the church of Thessalonica started. We have that in the book of Acts, uh, Paul's second missionary trip. He visits Thessalonica. And you're going to see, even in comparison to the church plant or the church start of other churches, other cities, persecution comes specifically here right off the bat. Right off the bat. 
So chapter 17, starting off with verse 1, this is how this church started and how persecution came right off the bat. Verse 1, now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So you can see from the very beginning, through specifically the Jews at this time, but it, it spread to, again, Rome, and they were getting persecution from all kind of angles. And so as their sufferings, they're in affliction with this. We see now verse 3. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. He says after that introduction, after reminding them who they are rooted in, in Jesus Christ, the one who gives grace, the one who gives peace in the midst of what you're going through, he says we ought to always give thanks for our church family. As is right. Now, I do want to pause right, real quick right here because although we read this, I know this is hard or has been hard, baby, for some of you. I know that there's been many who have been hurt within the church, and so you've even had a different view of what family is according to the church, and therefore it is hard for you to give thanks for it. In fact, in Mark Knoll's classic book, Scandal of the Evangelical Mind, uh, he heavily talks about how there's many who grew up evangelical that are still suffering with some church wounds. And we do see it loud and proud even on social media. I know me personally as one who didn't grow up in church and so therefore after becoming a Christian in high school, it was like a lighthouse to me in a dark, dark world. But at the same time, not being ignorant, not being naive. In fact, it's something I pray for my kids often, knowing they grow up in the church. And again, some of you may have those church wounds is talking about, and it's hard for you to give thanks. But we still need to. 
In fact, as he says there, I find it quite intriguing. Between the commas of brothers, again, family, he says, as is right. We still need to give thanks to both God for what he has done and the church family, even if we have some of those wounds. Because as it says in between those commas in verse 3, as is right. And in that rightness, we see two things happening simultaneously, which not only makes it easier for this church here, but for our church and every church around us to give thanks to him and his people. And remember, he writes this in the midst of such suffering, such affliction and persecution. He says, we give thanks, says his right, for you, telling others around us about you, because two things are happening in this church in the midst of persecution and trials. Number one, he says, because your faith is growing abundantly. Listen, church, to help give thanks and in the midst of trials, our faith needs to grow abundantly. It needs to and should be a season where we go to him and trust him even more when things are unknown or things cannot be seen right in front of you. That's faith, right? Even more, that faith needs to grow abundantly. My hero in the faith, which Riley has joked in the past, are you trying to look like him? C.H. Spurgeon, which I don't know if that should be a compliment. Beard-wise, yes. Otherwise, I don't know. But my hero in the faith, C.H. Spurgeon, said this about those who may have little faith in comparison to great faith. He says, now great faith is sure of heaven, and he knows it. He climbs Pigsaw's top, and he views the landscape o'er. And he drinks in the mysteries of paradise even before he enters within the pearly gates. He sees the streets that are paved with gold. He beholds the walls of the city, the foundations whereof are precious stones. He hears the mystic music of the glorified and begins to smell on earth the perfumes of heaven. But poor little faith can scarcely look at the sun. He very seldom sees the light. He will often grope in the valley and while all is safe, he always thinks himself unsafe. He then, in this message, mentions how little faith is still saved because as Jesus had said, it just takes faith as small as a mustard seed for one to have. If it is truly rooted in Jesus Christ, they are still saved. But when that faith does not grow, that one will have very little assurance of not only their salvation, but it produces weak believers with weak attempts to do things for God, to live on mission for him, and will be even weaker in temptations at times. And listen, church, this proves to be even more true in church history, which is why education and depth 
was a part of discipleship so heavily in the early church. In fact, as early as the second century, you could see those who called themselves, again, disciples of Christ, believers. Remember, disciple means student. They underwent a period of vigorous instruction. In fact, in Rome, around the year 200, if you wanted to become a baptized member of the church, you were required to do three years of schooling with an authorized mentor once a week outside of your weekly church services and service. Catechisms were heavily introduced and intertwined with that schooling. And when I say schooling, I'm talking about an introduction an instruction on the Old Testament, the New Testament, an emphasis on Genesis, the law, Paul's epistles, and apologetics to defend the faith in comparison to what they were kind of dealing with, struggling with, with worldviews of Judaism and paganism. And I know one may criticize these ancient policies being wary of the danger of producing head knowledge over heart, response, or education over community, but in this depth. In the deeper study of their faith, it produced two things, according to church historian John Dixon. Two ways that God used in-depth study of their faith in the early church. Number one, Christians in this period were a minority surrounded by a dominant pagan culture. And so there was a lot of unlearning as well as learning to do. They needed it not just for apologetics, but again, the unlearning of the system of beliefs that they grew up with as new believers. Number two, and I really want to hone in on this one. Christians had discovered the hard way that if believers do not have a deep foundation in the content of their faith, they will not survive the pressures of persecution. I want to read that again. As he gives praise to this small church enduring through persecution and hard times, as he says and shares that we boast because of your faith growing in the midst of this. And the early church, as they valued depth and their faith growing in that way, Christians had discovered the hard way that if believers do not have a deep foundation in the content of their faith, they will not survive the pressures of persecution. It is no coincidence that the Apostle Paul is giving thanks and highlighting the Thessalonica church's abundant, growing faith in the midst of persecution. Church, it's also no wonder we see many professing Christians as of today deceived into other ideologies when they are persecuted for their faith. We have an entire younger generation not being discipled in their faith, but just led by emotions who will then start denying scripture and justifying sin because the world has a better emotional argument on top of the persecution that they will face if standing on truths, on truths of scripture. In church, although we trust in God's will, God's way, and his sovereignty in the midst of that, I'm sharing with you, 
deeper discipleship, growing faith helps that. Our faith needs to grow abundantly in light of surrounding persecution. And we, like the Apostle Paul, should thank God for when it happens. A deeper study in Scripture. Knowing how the gospel connects to all of it. And growing in it. Knowing and believing that it's not just there for one to get saved, but for our sanctification as well. Community. Where we are sharing life together, but keeping each other accountable and spurring each other to grow in our faith. Serving. Again, valuing that depth. It's why we started this initiative in the program of institutes. It's why we have evangelism training this upcoming Wednesday to show how you can use this specifically over kind of using culture as a missionary to share the gospel in that. Our faith is to grow abundantly if we want to endure in persecution and to give God the glory. Number two, the other thing he says, we ought always to give thanks to God for you brothers as is right because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Our love for each other must increase. Remember in Galatians 5, 6, the Apostle Paul wrote that one of the things that matters most in this life is faith working through love. And this is important. In fact, couldn't but help to think when talking about this point and studying it. I remember seeing this making its rounds on the internet years before, but some people trying to make a point of the importance of these type of relationships, personal relationships, and the love for each other increasing. They had shared, all right, can you name the top three to five wealthiest people? Can you name the last three, five Heisman winners? The top three to five social media influencers right now? The last three to five Nobel, Nobel Prize winners? The best Oscar winners? How many could you name and know? With some of the most prestigious accomplishments, top accolades. And unless you're genuinely interested in that category, you're probably not going to remember half those names. But if I asked you to name the three to five teachers who made the most impression on you, the three to five friends that helped you through a difficult time, the three to five people who helped, who helped hold you accountable, loved on you, invested in you. Those are questions that you would have answers and names to, correct? Because most often, the people who make the most difference in our lives are not the people with the most impressive credentials, the most money, the most fame, the most followers, but they're the very ones express their care to you through acts of love. I couldn't but help to think about this 
when I saw somebody, a part of this church family, give a shout out to all these different people that's involved in their teenager's life, just thanking them, thanking them, knowing and kind of saying it takes a village to parent. And all these people in some way or fashion in the past and right now has invested in my teenagers. And I thank you for it. I couldn't but help to think about this. Many of you guys know, and you've been praying for this. And I've act, we had a, a kind of a, a victory, kind of celebration with this. But many guys have, have bared the burden, been prayed for the Salcedos as their youngest um, over these last three years, went through chemo. And as many of you guys know, when you're kind of finished, and it's been three years, the ring the bell celebration. And I couldn't but help to notice when um, Crystal, I posted online a picture of her doing that, but the picture that's right next to the bell at the hospital. In fact, you could see it on the screen right beside me. And it's all these people lifting up that child. I, I, I actually asked, I was like, where did you get this picture? And she told me, like, it's actually right next to the bell when you ring it. What a great, great picture and illustration for all of those that are a part of that, to help them. Showing for us as the church, showing the love of God to each other. Increasing love for one another because we're there for each other. You don't just need to attend church, but being the church with each other. That's why we have done certain things specifically in our church, to try to encourage and spur you into community with each other and discipleships with each other. So your help and love for each other rooted in Christ should increase. So that in those discipleship relationships, you're encouraged to try to do that with another person. You're to give grace with each other. Can you have that common bond of Jesus Christ, accountability. We have a true partnership with each other to co-labor in sharing the gospel. And so knowing that those two things are happening in the midst of persecution, in the midst of hardest afflictions and trials, and yet he says we give thanks to God for you. For your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Church, I ask, is that happening here? Is that happening for you? Is that happening in your community group? Because it takes intentionality. It, it doesn't just happen naturally, especially in the midst of trials. It takes certain sacrifices. It does. And so I ask, what may you need to do to make that happen? So that your faith can grow, love that word, abundantly. So that your love for each other can increase. And listen, church, although maybe some in this room are the very ones that I talked about that has some of those church wounds. It's hard for you to be thankful for the church family. I can't but help to ask, maybe it's because those two things aren't happening. Your faith is not growing. You're not loving or being loved so that your love for each other can increase. 
Because when those two things do happen, you can't help. And you know it because you've been in seasons of it. You can't but help to be grateful to the Lord. You can't but help to be grateful for each other. I look at those two things. I can't, again, but to help think also. It's why what we believe as a church concerning edification being built up to be sent out. It's why that's our church strategy. If you went to our 101 class and we've shared that, our mission is to glorify God, love our neighbors, and make disciples who make disciples. And our strategy to help accomplish that mission is for us as a body to have certain things to be built up, edified, and sanctified, and to grow abundantly so we are sent out on that mission. Because remember, when that happens for us, when we are built up, when we have that depth, it's not so we can become self-righteous, spiritual, know-it-alls. A holy huddle. But God uses that so he can send us out as we're filled with a deep love for him and filled with the spirit to glorify him and share with him, share with others. That we gather to scatter in those ways. We can't but help to. Then we see in verse 4 where the Apostle Paul and therefore us as well can boast of the enduring church in persecutions and afflictions. Verse 4, God's word says, Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and the afflictions that you are enduring. The Apostle Paul used that word boast as a good type of boasting. It's the boasting of the local church's steadfastness and faith in the midst of persecutions and afflictions that they are enduring. Enduring is continuing to believe, to love, to live for Jesus, to be on mission still, continue to meet as that church body, to be in God's word when one is mocked, made fun of, threatened. When they receive the loss of items, even potentially their vocation to be physically harmed, imprisoned, or killed. In the midst of such trials and persecution, it is continuing that belief, that loving and living for Jesus. And of course, we see this from Christians throughout history. I'll never forget one of the first books I read as a new Christian was uh, um, it was like the teenage version of Fox's Book of Martyrs. I don't know if you guys ever read, read Fox's Book of Martyrs, but there was like a teenager version that I remember reading in high school. In fact, I just gave a copy, my old copy, to my oldest daughter to start reading herself. As we see the history, long history, of the church being persecuted. And again, remember who he's writing to here. The Thessalonian church were baby Christians when it started. And the Apostle Paul, soon after, as we read in Acts 17, had to run out. He had to leave. As Pastor Tim Parsons would so often say, you don't birth the baby and just not parent it. And that's what the Apostle Paul hesitantly had to do. So in the midst of this, 
I mean, parents, you know what it feels like to be worried about your children just with a babysitter or teenage college years as they're starting to get more independent, making choices for themselves, learning the hard way. That's how Paul felt for them as they were in the midst of heavy persecution. Their property was being seized. Workers were stopped from practicing their trades. Those who found a new faith in Jesus Christ were shunned by their families. Some were insulted. Some were beaten. Some being put to death. And when they were experiencing suffering of the worst kind in the midst of such affliction and persecution, he boasts of their enduring. Church, that is a time to boast on the church and God's work within the church. Because one can only endure because of him and his grace. Because that steady foundation under them, an abundant faith growing, and their love for each other increasing. And church, we need to take heed and listen to that for today encouraged as we may feel for the boasting of their endurance in such affliction, that affliction and persecution did not exactly go away in that city. Where in God's sovereign will, we can see it ebb and flow in different places. It certainly continued in this specific city. In fact, centuries later in 390 AD, there was a massacre of around 7,000 people there in retaliation of Christians. And listen, like the church of Thessalonica at that time and beyond, like much of the church throughout history as it ebbs and flows, we will see and experience persecution. Both here and especially our brothers and sisters, church family, and other countries. And I cannot predict the future of America in this. I personally think that in this current day and age, somehow, some way, we can overemphasize our own persecution, instilling unnecessary fear as future martyrs for political purposes, and are ignorant to what is to come all at the same time. I don't know. I know it's worse. I mean, I saw that as a student pastor. I say persecution, but again, that's used relatively so because what we're facing as persecution is nothing but doesn't mean it's not going to go there compared to other places. But I just know as a student pastor, in comparison to the freedom that you had and ability you had to be able to just go into schools, go into certain places to be able to share the gospel, I know the hostility has, has gotten worse. Again, I don't know what the future says, but I do know what God's word says, and it does say every Christian will go through it. It gives us insight on what to do both today and over the next few weeks, and that's not to get into our bunker or to win the culture wars, but it's to properly understand Christ's return, to have a joyful anticipation for it, and to learn what it means to endure in the midst of persecution. And we, like Paul, boast in such endurance. We give testimony and witness to when it happens, knowing it can only be done by one's own will, by, not by one's own will and way, but by one's faith and grace in Jesus. Because know this, especially if you're going through a hard time or in the midst of persecution, 
you cannot, as popular as a phrase as it is, you cannot just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You need faith. You need grace. You need others in the church as your love for them increases. And I know there are already examples of endurance and affliction that ones have endured in that we are to boast about. I know this church, for example, did not going through specific persecution, but going through tough socio-political time, COVID on top of it. And even while taking steps toward becoming an autonomous church, not having anywhere to meet, you all endured. You gave grace to each other. You stayed on mission all while going through your own personal junk and trials at home or individually. In fact, I couldn't but help to humbly boast about this when there was a local representative from Samaritan's Purse here just following up with what the kids gave um, last, at the end of last year during Thanksgiving, Christmas, they had a Wednesday night and they were following up just saying thank you for it, giving us some pamphlets. And it was an older gentleman that was a part of a church in the area. And he just asked, like, how'd you guys do through COVID? How'd you guys do through all that? And I just shared with him and he's just like, he had tears in his eyes. He said, praise God. I cannot, I needed to hear that because of what his church had went through. And it was a time, again, not humbly boast to brag, but like, I couldn't but help to thank God. I couldn't but help to do exactly what Paul says here, where faith growing abundantly and my love for you all increasing. In fact, on that note, there was a recent Christianity Today article that came out last week titled, Our Pulpits Are Full of Empty Preachers. Just sharing, one, the statistics of how many preachers have left the pulpit over these last few years and how many that are still there barely clinging on. They said in, these, in this poll, like, they, they're, if it wasn't for the money, if it wasn't for they didn't know what else they would do, they would not be there. This has been such a hard time. Can I just praise the Lord and boast that by God's grace, I do not feel like that at all? Because of you. Because of your heart for the Lord and continued mission. In the midst of, again, persecution and trials. To endure. How that gives glory to the Lord. Again, I'm not going to go into full, full detail. But I can't but help again to think of the hardest trial that my parents went through. When my brother was on death row, in the midst of a trial, bringing all attention to past junk, and what, how the Apostle Paul felt about the church of Thessalonica. These are baby Christians. How are they going to do this? They're enduring. Praise God. That's I, I'll never forget on my knees praying to the Lord, God, let my parents endure. They lived hard lives before becoming Christians. Really, later in life, how are they going to endure? As this is being published news worldwide as my brother's bringing up past stuff with this. And again, as they did endure, how God used it. I can't but help. Like Paul says, 
boast and the church enduring. Let's not forget, although we don't have time to, your individual examples of endurance yourselves. For some of you, what you've had to go through in your life with your family, at work, with neighbors, at school, many of you, many of you, not a fleshly, prideful boasting, but should know out of humility, God uses this endurance. Verse 5, this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. He says this is the evidence of the rightness, righteous judgment of God, that you will be considered worthy of that kingdom of God, and we will suffer for that righteous kingdom, for that witness but we can know it is truly worth it. When the world may be falling apart and it may get worse and worse and worse. And at times where the church has fought back, sometimes that was physically, sometimes that was spiritually, other times turning the other cheek, and it's not always clear what's wisest in witness and mission, but even when that happens, there will be persecution and in the midst of that, if you endure with your faith growing abundantly and your love for each other increasing, this, it says here in verse 5, is evidence of the righteous judgment of God. That's the evidence, not our politician in place. Not us being able to say we won this. But the evidence for which you are all suffering is when you and I grow in our faith and love for each other increase. You may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God that you are suffering, for as you endure with your faith, you grow abundantly and your love for each other continue to grow. No, as we end this morning, I asked Matt that we could sing a specific song, especially with its words and its lyrics and what it reveals in the midst of affliction and in light of the gospel. Many of you guys are familiar with this story, but this hymn was written by a husband and father who got news that his wife and family died in a shipwreck to come to him. And in his grieving, in his mourning, he wrote this classic hymn. And as we sing it, while repeatedly saying these words that in the midst of what I as a husband and father, could think of one of the largest trials and suffering that one could go through. It repeats the words, it is well with my soul. We remember these verses and lyrics. First, regarding our trials, as we sing, though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ, yes, he has regarded my helpless estate. 
and has shed his own blood for my soul. But then also later, as we're going to get to in this book, Jesus' second coming and our faith. As we build up to sing in unison as one body, with our love for each other increasing and our love for him most importantly. And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall only be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. And even so, it is well. Heavenly Father, in the midst of whatever we are going through, that can be a trial within our family, some persecution that's going on in the world, at work, at school, with friends, loss of family. God, that could be because of us living for you. That could be because of personal sin. I pray, Lord, that we respond accordingly. Whether that's repentance and faith, whether that's our faith growing abundantly, our love for each other increasing, loving each other so that that can happen within each other. I pray, Lord. I pray as we sing this song, we are encouraged to know we can endure the witness that it gives as Paul boasts about it because it gives glory to you and because one will realize they couldn't do that on their own. They could not have went through that, survived that with their love for the Lord and such faith without depending on something beyond themselves. Like Spafford would sing and say as we repeat, is well with my soul. God, let this be the beginning in this book, in this study of a season where we learn how to endure to your glory. We pray this in your name, Jesus.